Hey, Jericho. Hey. If you're like me, the shelf space in your bathroom is precious real estate. Yeah. That's why I'm excited to introduce to you a line of beauty products that's as great as multitasking as you are. Kopari. Kopari Beauty is free of sulfates, silicones, GMOs, and parabens, and it's made with 100% organic coconut oil. Amazing. Do you use coconut oil? I love it. I put it in my hair when I get, like, dry scalp. That's nice. Because hair doesn't get there. The oil doesn't get there? Oh, the no. air. Yeah. Like, so oh, I wow. get dry and I need to put coconut oil all over my head and then I sit on the couch like that for a couple of hours. That's amazing. So you could use their original coconut melt for something like that. They also have something called the coconut sheer oil, which is super light and perfect as a facial moisturizer, a coconut balm for intense soothing and smoothing of super dry skin, a coconut crush scrub that buffs you beautiful, a coconut body glow that gives you a natural all-over shimmer, and of course, their original coconut melt. These are products that moisturize skin and hair, smell great, but without any sulfates, silicones, GMOs, and parabens. Kopari searched around the world for an oil of the highest quality with a great aroma and a non-gritty texture that you can apply head to toe. Say aloha to the best skin and hair of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash girlboss to get 20% off your order. That's Kopari, K-O-P-A-R-I beauty.com slash girlboss for 20% off. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Today's guest on Girlboss Radio is the founder and CEO of Maven, Kate Ryder. I met Kate in London while she was working for Index Partners, a VC firm. Kate is smart, savvy, and she's an entrepreneur. When she graduated from college, Kate Ryder started her career in journalism, landing jobs at The New Yorker, writing for Hank Paulson, and eventually at The Economist, where she spent her time traveling and reporting from abroad. I think by the age of 20, I had read enough books by Hemingway and and Fitzgerald, and, and I was just curious about, you know, what was Paris like? What was Spain like? But Kate Ryder was born with an entrepreneurial spirit. Both her father and grandparents on both sides of the family started their own businesses. So while in Singapore, Kate decided to launch her first business. Dragon fruit. I knew that I wanted to get out of journalism at that point after this experience with dragon fruit, uh, and, and I needed some kind of bridge to entrepreneurship. But after trying to launch that Chinese travel business, Kate realized how natural entrepreneurship felt. She worked for a short time at a venture capital firm in London and had the brilliant idea for her next adventure, Maven, a digital clinic for women. In healthcare, women drive 80% of decision making. Maven offers women instant access to its best in class network of women's and family health providers. It's like doctors on demand, and it's helping women take charge of their own medical care. So women are the core drivers of of spend, and there were just no products, and particularly in this category, no products at all for women. Ryder is one of a number of female founders trying to disrupt healthcare, which remains a male-dominated industry. 
only 6% of CEOs at digital health startups are women. The vast majority, it's been shocking, the level of just, you know, oh, you have a little women's health business. Can you really build a billion-dollar business? If all of this feels like a giant non-sequitur to you, you're not alone. How did this writer become the founder and CEO of a tech startup in the health sector? In just a bit, you'll hear my conversation with Kate Ryder, but right now, I'd like you to turn your ears to Jericho Mandiber, who's going to join us to discuss the big things that we have going on at Girlboss Media. Hello, Jericho. Hi. Hey. hey, hey, hey. How are you? <laughs> Fine. How are you? I'm pretty good. So, we did this story on surviving a hangover at work. Yeah, and everyone loved it. And it's like we all just go to work with hangovers all the time. Who or hasn't been hung? Oh my God. I'm um, hungover right now. I'm not, but I, I was yesterday after like two glasses of wine. That's all it takes these days. It's sad. Once you're in your 30s. It's so sad. <laughs> do you have any tips for surviving a hangover at work? I do. Well, this story, I should say it's an illustrated guide, so it's really cute and funny. One of the pictures is a woman who's just, like, wrapped in a blanket, and then she's got sunglasses on and Uggs, and, like, she's wearing the softest clothes she can find. So I would definitely say wear loose clothing. And my personal kind of tip is, like, I'll always bring in a Diet Coke can. Okay. Um, One thing that was suggested by the writer of this piece, Suze Tucker, is, like, take your Diet Coke or your energy drink or whatever the hell and put it in your office mug so people don't think... Because that's just, like, such a giveaway. Yeah. So disguise your energy drinks. Coke is a giveaway. I guess, like, Pedialyte. First thing in the morning. Pedialyte's a giveaway. Yeah. What is? Pedialyte. What's that? Oh, you don't have it? It's a drink drink for babies. It's actually a drink for babies. Oh, and... Pedia... You know, like Pedia. pediatrician. Yeah. Pedialyte is like electrolytes for babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. It's kind of like a rock. It's like a rock drink. star hangover thing to like walk around with like a pedialyte and a straw. Yeah, is yeah. Like kind of a cool look. It's like having a comb in your back so pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, <laughs> my personal hangover cure is a hamburger. Just, just a, a big ass hamburger. Where do you get them from? Ultimately, in and out. I mean, that's the ultimate. That's the one. Yeah, if yeah. I can. I still haven't tried it. Oh my god! But I don't eat meat, so it would probably just be like a that would be fries. Weird. Burger. I like to put fries on them. They have though. good milkshakes, and they do have a grilled cheese. But like, what's the point? Don't go there for that. Yeah, I'll just have a bite of someone else's. <laughs> hey. well, well, that was fun. Uh, let's it? let's go get drunk now. But before we do that, we're gonna have a word from some of our partners. So Jericho, mm. I don't know how to say this. M.M. Lafleur. Lafleur. Uh, yeah, it's so much cuter when you say it. So I'm going to have you say it for me. For the woman who wants to look impeccable at work but has better things to do than sift through uninspiring racks of pantsuits, the solution is... M.M. Lafleur. And really their goal is to take the work out of dressing for work. You get something called a bento box. Uh, You take a quick online survey, and an MM stylist will create a personalized box including four to six wardrobe items, including dresses, skirts, tops, knits, and a few accessories handpicked just for you. And once it arrives, you'll have four days to try everything at home before deciding what to keep, and you won't be charged anything up front. So you basically get to try clothes on for free. But if you do keep them, you'll be charged. But shipping is free both ways, so it's really risk-free. It's not a subscription service, and there's no commitment. To try a bento yourself, visit mmbento.com. That's m-m-b-e-n-t-o.com. Um, I think we have to talk about one more of our partners. We 
should talk about ZipRecruiter. Oh, ZipRecruiter. I love ZipRecruiter. I love recruiting. Uh, you do? I do. I do. It's fun. It's really fun. Putting the right team together is like getting dressed or, oh God, that sounds weird. You're curating people. You're curating, yes, like people who thrive together. Hopefully, right? Yeah. Um, so ZipRecruiter is a platform that finds your talent for you. Instead of posting a job and them coming to you, ZipRecruiter finds them. Uh, in fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within one day. No waiting by the phone for candidates to call. No emails. No, you know, weird cupcakes dropped off. Annoying. Hoping. <laughs> I don't eat food that comes from strangers, just for the record. But they have a super easy-to-use dashboard, and you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. It couldn't be easier. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com girlboss. That's ZipRecruiter.com girlboss. One more time, to try it free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. Jericho, it's Tam for Kate Ryder, the founder and CEO of Maven. Who is this Kate? She's a journalist turned venture capitalist turned founder, and she's forging her own path on her own terms. Here's Kate. So I guess we start, what was your first job? I just think it's so important. People know that very few people start you know, with a company that looks like what you're doing with Maven and that it takes a long time to figure ourselves out and figure out our talents before we get there. So, Kate, what was your first job? Well, let's see. So my first job of all time was actually a basketball referee when I was like 15 years old. Amazing. (laughs) And then ultimately, right out of college, I went and I worked um, in Spain, actually, teaching Spanish um, and English in the public school system for two years in Madrid. Um, And that, you know, to this day is still one of the hardest jobs I ever did because I didn't actually speak fluent Spanish when I arrived. Uh, You know, luckily I did when I left. But uh, it was a lot of learning on the on the seven year old, some of whom, you know, realized that they had an opportunity in the, you know, non fluent teacher. So uh, that was that was a crazy, crazy few years. And then ultimately, I worked in journalism for a bit and then finally in venture capital. And and we met in London, if you remember, through Index Ventures. Okay, was it at Danny's house? Yeah, exactly. It's so crazy. Yeah, I didn't realize you uh, until today that you had worked at Index. I knew about Maven. That's so funny. That was such a great, I mean, his backyard is like an entire city block. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think we, I remember we were going to maybe play poker with a bunch of people that night. Oh, so gosh. I don't think it ever happened, but maybe I was one drinking day. <laughs> a lot more than, okay, so you've lived in Singapore, Spain, London. What do you think has driven you to live in so many different faraway places? I mean, I think I definitely have some kind of wanderlust that I was born with. When I was younger, uh, so kind of college age, I actually never left the country until I was 20 because I spent the summers in the Adirondacks and, it, we, you know, my, my family, we had a, a summer house by a lake and, and we always just, uh, that was what we did when we went on vacation. And so I think by the age of 20, I had read enough books by Hemingway and, and Fitzgerald and, and I was just curious about, you know, what was Paris like? What was Spain like? And, and at that time, you know, I, I wanted to be a journalist and so I basically 
basically, I think maybe it was like pent up, but I, once I was unleashed, I, I actually ended up living in, in all of these different countries and, and places for eight years outside of the U.S. And it, I think, you know, it's just, it's so much fun to do that because as an outsider looking in on a culture, you actually just, you learn so much about the world, about yourself, um, that I, I guess I, I just became kind of addicted to it. So you moved to Singapore and were working for The Economist. What were you doing there? My husband had just started at INSEAD, the French business school, um, and they have a campus in Singapore. So he was in school during the days, and I was pursuing Southeast Asian business stories um, on behalf of The Economist. And then I also was writing a bit for Fortune and The Wall Street Journal as well. So I was traveling to places like Indonesia and Vietnam and Thailand and even Myanmar, kind of trying to find interesting local business stories. Uh, One of the best ones I actually wrote actually was on Indonesian social media. It's one of the most active and highly engaged countries in the world for social media. And so so that was really interesting to kind of dig into Indonesian culture and understand, you know, why that is. And some of my first actually tech stories were in the Southeast Asian tech scene. So I saw some friends who are in Singapore and Jakarta working in, t- in tech. And you started a company when you were in Singapore? So that was my first try. I had written a story about the online travel industry in Asia, which was growing a lot because obviously Asia is a huge market for consumers. And, you know, there were all these hotels going up and there's all these budget airlines, you know, that were, were growing a lot. And so um, while I was writing that story, I realized what an insane opportunity there was if you brought some of the more interesting business models in the travel space from the West and then adapted them to the Chinese market. So for instance, you know, coming up with group travel packages rather than some of the more individual travel packages that some of the Western sites offer. Because a lot of, um, in China, a lot of people travel in, you know, in large groups. And so I had a friend who was living in Hong Kong at the time who is half Chinese and he and he was like, this is a great idea. We should start this business. So he, it was like, it was a lot of fun. We, we, we did it for a few months, but I think, you know, I was in Singapore, he and then the other guy we brought on was in, were in Hong Kong. Neither, none of us had ever started business before, let alone a technology business. So it, it didn't really take off, but it was, it was three months where I got my first taste of entrepreneurship. And that led to, you know, ultimately working at Index, learning how to do it, and then starting Maven. What did you learn from the, can you call it a failure? Yeah, I will. Of your first company? Because I can relate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So we called it Dragon Fruit. And we, so I, I think the thing there was one of the, you know, what kept propelling it forward was the fact that I was going and having these meetings in Singapore with hotel developers on like a PowerPoint presentation with like a bunch of nice graphics that my husband helped me make and people were signing up. So I was kind of like, Jesus, I think we have a business on our hands. But ultimately the reason it didn't work work was because I didn't want to stay in Asia forever. And, and you know, when you start a business, it, it takes a while. So you really have to be ready to, to for both industry and geography that you're living in. And then ultimately, I mean, my, my two co-founders, so to speak, it turns out they weren't entrepreneurs at all. They're screenwriters. And so they, they've since been writing movies. <laughs> so that's, oh that's largely why it didn't work. <laughs> so it was like a starter marriage. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. I did that too. So how did you wind up in venture capital? 
So I moved to London right after Singapore, and I knew that I wanted to get out of journalism at that point after this experience with Dragon Fruit, uh, and, and I needed some kind of bridge to entrepreneurship. So I was actually applying to every type of job, tech companies, banks, because I, I had been covering some you know, financial journalism, and I just wasn't getting anywhere because it was the, one of the first euro crises where you know, everyone thought the euro was going to fail. This was like in 2011, 2012, and no one was hiring. And so I ended up meeting a partner at Index. It was like my 100th meeting or something. And he, I think, had a soft spot for journalists. He, that's where he had started his career. And so he, you know, in two days uh, had kind of said, all right, well, have an internship with us. We'll give you a try and, and see if this works. And, and, and so, you know, ultimately it worked. So I, I ended up working there for two years. And what did you do at Index Ventures? Um, so I covered early stage stuff and really uh, in terms of verticals, you know, the way that index is set up is that usually, you know, a partner will have an associate shadow them. So uh, I was doing a lot of the stuff that the partner that I worked for did. So ed tech, education technology, and then um, digital health and health tech. Uh, and then just in general, um, you know, he, he ran the seed program. So I was doing a lot of seed stage deals and looking at looking at that. That's so interesting. And so you've raised over $10 million for your Series A for Maven. And I want to I want to get into that, but I'm just so curious. I was with someone who used to work uh, for Gary Vaynerchuk on the media side, like agency side, and then went to work at Nike on the brand side and, and now is at LVMH. And she was telling me just how intentionally she was kind of like circumnavigating the industry that she's in and understanding how things work from both sides. And I'm just so curious how, if that was intentional for you and what you learned from being on the investor side that benefited you as you moved into your second startup and raising so much money successfully. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, as as you know, raising money is never easy. Although may, may, I think you had money pretty easily in the beginning, right? <laughs> I did because I built to twenty eight million in revenue profitably before I talked to Index. Right. So I definitely didn't do that. <laughs> That's so hard. I don't even know what I was doing. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> right. So um, so I went the more traditional route, which is I need to raise money to earn that much revenue. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so basically, I think what I, I learned at Index was was how. V- think it's a really you know insular clubby environment where everyone is you know it's it's I think there's been a lot of studies on this like the best chance that you're gonna get to raise money and meet with partners is through introductions and, and your network and so uh, I think I was probably I naively maybe thought it was more of a oh you have a great business idea and you send your pitch and then, and then they look at it and they think they also see your brilliance obviously that's not how it works and so I think I learned kind of all of the different ecosystems that you have to navigate to successfully raise funding as well as you know that what are the key metrics that you really look for across all the different types of businesses so across b2c businesses b2b businesses and then the different industries so i learned you know a lot about ed tech and, and digital health one of the most valuable things that index gave me was a network of entrepreneurs that became friends and also you know some of them invested in maven um you know particularly in that first year or two when you really just there's i mean there still is a lot i don't know but but really really just basic one-on-one stuff that you don't know in, in those first few years. Like, how much do you pay a law firm for that first round of financing? You know, when you're hiring someone, what, what are some red flags if, if on a, you know, if you're hiring an engineer? And so those those people were just instrumental and so generous with their time and helping me, 
navigate those first few years. So I think those are probably, you know, the two things that were were the most helpful and, and valuable that Index gave me. And then I also just made some really, really good friends there um, that are still friends today. You know, we all kind of worked together in that two year period. What are the elements of a great pitch? You know, honestly, the first thing is confidence. Uh, you have to be confident in your vision, where you're going. You will. You have to have drank a certain amount of your own Kool-Aid, because if you're not confident and you don't necessarily believe in what you're doing, you know, VCs will will rip that apart. And I even remember when I was on the other side of the table meeting some people, and it's like, you know, you do realize at a certain point things are going to get hard, and are you really going to stick with it? So I think you know, projecting that attitude is is really really important, and then just being able to you know, in this market that we now are in, which wasn't necessarily a market five years ago, is that what is your path to revenue um, and, and, and painting that and that you have kind of a good business model and a good path to revenue. And I think maybe five years ago, you know, people didn't care about that as much. They just wanted user growth. Whereas now I think it, you know, people care. They still want the big, you know, multi-billion dollar world changing ideas, but it, it you know, you have to prove how you're going to make money, you know, at least in year two and or three and not in year you know, 20. Um, And you mentioned red flags when you're hiring people. What are some red flags that you would say when you sit down to interview someone? Um, Well, I think, you know, you, well, you probably wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if you got this, but I can't believe how many people I interview that like have never tried a product. And it's not like you have to like book an appointment with someone. You just have to like go around and click around. And so (laughs) that's clearly a major red flag. And that's been pretty consistent where you you just, you know, really great candidates with amazing resumes come in and and they they have, they don't really know what we do. They they like our mission, but they don't really know what the product does. And then I think, you know, one of the questions, I always like to ask is, uh, you know, what what's the last thing that really kept you up at night? And also, you know, what, what's a piece of feedback that you've gotten that surprised you? And, you know, if people can't really answer either of those two questions, you know, because they're kind of curveballs um, in the process, if they can't answer them where, where you know, they're, they're, a, they're a thoughtful, curious person, then, you know, that, that might be a red flag, too. Because, as you know, at an early stage startup, you just you need really creative people solving the million problems that you have, you know, with with a good attitude. Yeah, who can handle the adversity? According to the U.S. Department of Labor, women are the healthcare decision makers in our country. They make approximately 80% of the healthcare decisions in their families. Women take the lead role in choosing health plans, scheduling doctor's appointments, and making sure their loved ones are getting the care they need. Recognizing that the women's healthcare market is incredibly underserved, Kate started Maven, a digital clinic for women that connects patients with healthcare practitioners anywhere, anytime. So tell me about Maven. How did you get the idea for Maven? So I was working on a few different ideas during my time at Index, and Maven came out of one where I was playing around with the idea of subscription vitamin boxes where, you know, you look at your health history and and particularly as a woman, you know, if you have osteoporosis, let's say in your family, um, what are some of the actions that you can take now to prevent that when you're older? And so I realized pretty quickly I I had no supply chain experience. I didn't really know, you know, if the vitamins were even going to be useful. But part of that business, there was a component of online nutritionists to talk through some of the stuff that you would be taking. And again, this was all just like ideation 
creation. Nothing ever actually launched out of that. But th- through this idea of online nutrition, um, that made me kind of look at this this larger idea of, wait a second, what if you take out the actual physical product and you actually just had a network of not just nutritionists, but all of these different providers. And so that led me to kind of start looking from a VC perspective at the telemedicine industry. So this was in 2014. And it was pretty boring and, and, and pretty uh, state at that point. It was, you know, a bunch of very generic websites and platforms with primary care doctors. And then when you lifted the lid of those businesses, you saw, though, that like all their customers were women because in healthcare, women drive, you know, it's very similar to retail. Women drive 80% of the decision making, you know, millennial women outspend men by 70%. So women are the core um, drivers of, of, of spend. And there were just no products and particularly in this category, no products at all for women. And so. I started talking to some women's health providers and family health providers like nurse practitioners and doulas and lactation consultants and midwives and just heard, you know, that they were hungry for innovation to come to them and they hadn't really seen it yet in this first kind of wave of digital health. And also, you know, the gaps in care that women face and and various parts of their health care, you know, these providers are on the front lines of seeing it. So, you know, a, a woman who, you know, has repeated miscarriages or a woman who had like really tough you know, labor, and then, uh, you know, it doesn't really recover well, or a woman who really needs birth control and can't afford it and can't get access to it. And and so there's just a lot of issues. And so that the passion from the provider community was electrifying. And so that was where we started. And then we eventually expanded it into kind of including, okay, we're going to build a platform for the millennial female. So we go as young as 17, and then pretty much, you know, through a woman in her 40s. So taking her through that journey, where you know she starts to think about birth control she you know she might need some it, it's hard to navigate she might have side effects from whatever she's taking she's embarrassed to ask people to then eventually you know she's going to go through her 20s or 30s whenever she starts to start a family if she does you know that's a lot of health care that she has to deal with it's a you know complicated process for for a lot of women and then you know just really supporting her through that process Kate has been building Maven since April 2015 and has expanded to same-day prescription services and Maven maternity, which helps and supports women from pregnancy through childbirth, postpartum, and returning to the workplace. With $10.8 million in Series A financing, the New York-based startup Maven, launched by CEO Kate Ryder, is poised to boost women's health and help companies across the country bring better maternity and family benefits to working parents. So if someone asks you, what is Maven, what would you say? I mean, our tagline is we're a digital clinic for women. Um, depends who I talk to. If I talk to someone in healthcare, I'll get all, you know, wonky on the on what I say. But for the purposes of this show, it's uh, you can FaceTime with doctors and nurse practitioners. You can get prescriptions. And then really the product that we're spending a lot of time on is uh, in the last two years is we sell um, Maven maternity to HR departments at companies. So, you know, a lot of the national conversation right now is around making workplaces more female friendly, more family friendly. And so we have a product. It's a 15 month um, subscription, nine months of pregnancy, six months of postpartum and returning to work where women get that additional layer of support. We can help companies drive retention, save money on their maternity claims. So that's um, that's the product that we just raised all that money to scale. That's amazing. So you went from journalism to venture capital to entrepreneurship. What things have you taken from each of those different industries that has benefited you as you've started your company? 
So journalism was probably, you know, journalism is a is a complicated industry right now. And it's a lot of, um, you know, you, you don't get a lot of help. You just have to go out. You have to find the story and you have to push for it to be published. I mean, particularly even at The Economist at, at Fortune, like you're always just pitching internally your own stuff. So I think what journalism gave me that was applicable to Maven is creating structure out of chaos and that amount of persistence that you need to get your stories out there. So that was, I think, a great uh, plus, you know, in journalism, you make no money. Mm. So I learned how to eat egg and cheeses for, for breakfast and ramen for dinner, which you need in those early days. And then in venture capital, I, I learned about just the, you know, how, how the financing process works. And I was able to, you know, go to board meetings and observe some of the boards with the partner that I worked for. And so was able to also in those two years kind of have, you know, kind of a superficial idea, you know, but really kind of start to look at, okay, what's going well with certain companies? What's not going well? What are some patterns across, you know, both sides of that? You know, when, when a company is doing well, like obviously so much of it is team related and having just a, a great founding and a management team. And then, you know, when it's not going well, what are some of the issues? And sometimes it's totally random. Other times it's, you know, it, it could be, there, you know, related to not focusing on revenue fast enough or, you know, not going after a product feature and then not shutting it down fast enough. So, you know, that, that was really helpful there. And then, I mean, I think with, you know, once I got to Maven, then it was kind of like you start again from ground zero and you make a lot of mistakes <laughs> always, but... You know, journalism and VC prep me a, a little bit. How would you describe your management style? Um, manager in training, always. I would say that hopefully my, my team would say I'm pretty open to feedback. I'm v- extremely blunt. I have a, a one-year-old at home, so I also just am extremely, uh, you know, try to be efficient with my time so that, you know, I'm in the office from nine to six and every minute should be kind of in a, a meeting or in a conversation or working where I'm not just kind of, you know, messing around. Um, so one of the first things I did when I had a kid was uh, reduce meetings to 30 minutes over an hour. And I, I hopefully my team appreciates that. <laughs> and we have monthly meetings where people give feedback and everyone presents what they do. So so hopefully they, they like my management style. But yeah, it's, it's, it's blunt. It's you know, pretty efficient, pretty to the point, and always willing to take feedback. Do you have an executive coach or anyone who helps you get better at that? So my dad's an entrepreneur, and in those early days, I, I did actually call him like once a week on management questions because my instincts were all wrong. So because, you know, management is such an art. And actually, one of my friends who I met through Index, Greg Marsh, who was the CEO of One Fine Stay, he told me going into it, he was like, you know, you're going to be really bad at it for three years. I just want to let you know that and <laughs> you should be humble. So my early instincts were, you know how as an entrepreneur, you have like you have probably have an insane work ethic and you hold yourself to really high standards where you're trying to, you know, push, push, push and, and, and for something to go further. And you can't take that same approach in management. I think you have to be a cheerleader and you have to be always constructive. Uh, and so, you know, if someone comes to you and, and they're like, yeah, you know, you, you told me to, you know, get five deals signed in the last three months and I only got three, you know, instead of being like, well, you know, that's horrible. It's, it's kind of like, well, let's understand why and let's try to get six next time. So that's something that you have to learn. It's not something I think that it all comes natural to a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, what's the best leadership advice you've ever gotten? Uh, no one's ever as good as you think they are and no one's ever as bad as you think they are. 
What's the worst advice you've gotten that you're just like, I hear this over and over again and like, I can't believe people say this. This is so untrue. <laughs> fire them. Fire them. Fire them. <laughs> I think good. that's bad advice. <laughs> like you have to... I get a lot. Yeah. People love to like give you really in, like advice that would like turn your life upside down. Yeah. But they like don't yeah. realize like there's so much more to think of when you remove someone from a business or, you know, take out one piece of, like, the puzzle. Yeah, I think it's, so like, examine the problem apart. a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, number one yeah. is, like, do no harm, right? Yeah. Like, what kind of reform do you think the healthcare industry needs? Well, I personally think that every time, so this is kind of a more general point about reform and, and making a change to a big complicated system, you know, you make the change and then you iterate and you look at what worked and what didn't work and then you make the change again. And I think because our government's in gridlock right now, you know, we, we made a big change with Obamacare a few years ago and some things are working and some things aren't. And so now we need to kind of look at that and make more productive changes towards a better system for everyone. And I think unfortunately, Unfortunately, that's not happening, and so it's frustrating to watch. I also think that as a women's health business and knowing the dynamics of healthcare, women need to have a much stronger voice at the table on a lot of things. There was a, um, a healthcare law passed in Texas uh, recently that now if a woman is raped, she you know has to pay extra to get an abortion for her insurance. That insurance doesn't have to cover it. And I think that there's not enough women at the table kind of explaining that when a woman is a victim of a violent crime and needs access to health care to recover from it, that's a fundamental human right it should be and so um, in America and and so that you know things like that we, we just need more female voices at the table. That was Kate Ryder making waves in the digital health industry. We'll be right back after a word from Parachute Home. Jericho, yeah, tell me about your parachute home sheets. They're still really comfy. They're just getting comfier. Like it's true what they say. They just soften over time. They are made from what I hear are the best fabrics and materials in family-owned factories in Europe. Aww. I know. The design is so modern and so chic. You got gray, right? Yeah, they're also responsibly made. They're all natural. There's no harmful chemicals or synthetic softeners that'll run into your, you know, water and face. And they're doing some pretty awesome stuff. The returns that they get are donated to Habitat for Humanity. And they're also a partner with the United Nations Foundation to donate malaria prevention bed nets. And they've donated over 16,000 so far. Cool. So, to experience the cloud of sleep that is Parachute Home. Go to parachutehome.com slash girlboss for free shipping and returns. Parachute offers a 60-night trial, so if you don't love your sheets, your nose can run all over them, send them back. 60 nights is so long. It's so long. <laughs> Visit parachutehome.com slash girlboss for free shipping and returns. That's parachutehome.com P-A-R-A-C-H-U-T-E dot com slash girlboss. We're back with Kate Ryder. So there's a lot of chatter about women in tech and venture capital and... So much. <laughs> the way things are and the way they really shouldn't be. What was your experience, mostly as an entrepreneur, because it index, you know, you're inside of an organization and, you know, that becomes a family, but have you experienced anything like that? 
Yeah, I think what I've experienced is a lot more subtle, which is that, you know, I, you know, in my other life as a journalist, um, you know, I met with some CEOs of major companies. I actually also helped Hank Paulson write his memoirs, you know, Hank, the former Treasury Secretary of the U.S. and former CEO of Goldman Sachs. And across all of those meetings, and maybe it's also because I had um, the economist name behind me, but even just working for Hank for a year, I was never not taken seriously. And, uh, you know, when when I'm in a, a meeting, I'm with with somebody, you know, particularly when I was a journalist, I would come with really relevant questions that I had prepped. I would get the right information. Didn't really make a lot of small talk. So it was very, um, I, I just, no one ever didn't, you know, not took, didn't take me seriously. And I think one of, that was one of the weirdest things coming to tech. You, you just walk into these rooms and, and like they're not taking you seriously from the second you walk in. And that, that's been, it's not something that you can really prove, but it's been my experience. And so I think that, you know, as more and more women come into positions of being able to deploy capital and, and venture capital, I, I think that will change. And there's some great guys that I, I've met along the way that, you know, I'll, I'll go back to for future rounds. But, you know, the the vast majority, it, it's been shocking, <laughs> the level of just, you know, oh, you have a, a little women's health business. Can you really build a billion dollar business? What do you see are the advantages of being a woman in technology? I think that there's, uh, as a result of, of that, I mean, you know, I get a lot of free PR, which is always helpful for the product. There's so few of us. <laughs> yeah. Quite honestly, I don't think that a lot of guys understand women's health in the way that I do and other women on my team do who experience it every day. And so as a result, I think I've been able to build a better product than any other product out there in our category. And uh, that will ultimately make us win at the end of the day. So that's extremely helpful is having that level of insight into what, you know, what what females need. And then also, I think, you know, because there are so few of us, I meet great women who 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 really help me. What advice do you have for working moms? You're a working mom, not just a working mom, but a startup founder, which is like, I'm just trying to get my teeth cleaned and, <laughs> you know, run my tiny company now. What's it like being a working mom and, you know, how do you make it work? Yeah, I feel like I've blacked out for the past year <laughs> um, in the sense that you really, I mean, your own time, your own personal time goes away, but you just have to have the patience and know that it's temporary. So the advice, though, that I would give is that it's absolutely possible and I'm happy to talk to anyone about how to make it work. We, you know, I think it's a combination of figuring out like all the on-demand apps that that exist that can make everything that much easier. So you're always trying to like get pockets of time back where instead of like, you know, doing laundry, well, you know what, now we just like have an app that all of our laundry gets taken. And that's great. And that saves me a few hours a week. But that's a few hours I can, you know, spend with Maven, spend with my son, spend with my husband, um, spend with my friends. So I think it's just like being ruthless about everything in your life that you can just like make a little bit faster doing it. And then remembering to kind of sometimes just like, you know, fuck it, take a walk, cancel something and get a little bit of headspace for yourself. The conversation I'm starting with Girlboss Media, which I don't have the answers to, is you know, what does success mean? What is success? And it's something that's different for everybody. And I think that's what's so beautiful. And it's not just financial. It's not just career, which we've all been taught and celebrate people, women, men who have figured out how to fit into this, you know, this paradigm that wasn't really made for you or me. But it's about our personal lives. And it is about, you know, taking, you know, going home at 6pm to make your family life work as well. 
I'm just curious, do you have a definition of success? Yeah, I think for me, success is kind of, you know, waking up without really many regrets. And so far, you know, I haven't, I don't really have, you know, that really that many. Uh, So and and I think that's a, uh, you know, that that's because if all of a sudden I'm I'm veering into a territory where I'm totally overworked, or something in my relationship isn't going right, or something in a friendship isn't going right, you know, usually it's it's you 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 try to spot that and 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 deal with it. And so, um, so I think that, you know, just being super vigilant to, anything that could could make you have regrets that you could you know push yourself too hard in one direction I, I think that's probably one of the the first ones but then it's also you know I, I hate that that the the cliche of work-life balance um, I, I don't think it's that I think it's it's literally you know being proud of what you do treating people with respect being a happy person you know now that I have a kid raising a great kid keeping my marriage together it could all go off the rails, all of it, at a certain point. But, uh, but you know, just that, as long as you know that you're, you're really trying hard and giving it your, you know, your all with, with what you're capable of. In July, Maven announced a $10.8 million Series A round, bringing the company's total funding to over $15 million. Kate Ryder, founder, CEO, and mom, what was your most recent Girlboss moment? We got a customer testimonial, and we, we basically, there was a woman in Texas, actually, and she had an experience on Maven where she talked to a provider, and she said that the provider made her feel that she gave her empathy and not pity, and it was the type of health care that she's never received. And so that was kind of a, a, an amazing moment because, it, that, again, it's very subtle, it's very nuanced, but I think many women can probably feel going into the doctor or going into the healthcare system and not feeling understood and not feeling heard. And so the fact that, you know, reading that last week made me super excited and, you know, recharged a lot of the exhaustion from the week before. You should be so proud. That's really, really cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much for yeah. having me. And how can we find you and Maven? On our website, our website's Maven Clinic, M-A-V-E-N clinic.com. You can sign up for an appointment, you know, just straight on the web. You can download our app. It's Maven Clinic in the app store. And if you work in HR, you can go to our, you know, Maven for Business page and, and, uh, and sign up for a demo and we'll get in touch with you. That was Kate Ryder, making waves in the digital health industry. To find out more about Maven, go to mavenclinic.com. Please share Girlboss Radio with your friends and remember to subscribe. Sharing is caring. You can follow Girlboss Radio at Girlboss Radio on Instagram or sign up to the girlboss.com newsletter at girlboss.com. Join us next week for more Girlboss Radio.